family name that lives on. It's all that lives on. Not your personal glory, not your honor, but family. Welcome to the Know Your Legacy podcast. I'm your host, Vipul Basanya, and today's guest is Patrice Washington. Patrice is known as America's money maven. She's a speaker and author who's been on the Steve Harvey show a number of times. And she's also uh, has published multiple books as well and is the host of her own podcast, Redefining Wealth, which tells us all about looking at wealth from a perspective of chasing purpose and not money. So Patrice, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Vipul. I'm excited to be here. No, me as well. So uh, I guess like from the snippets of conversations I've heard in your podcast and the the stuff that I've read about you, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to read too much because I wanted to allow myself to be surprised, but I know you've got a bit of a story. And I think just to put everything into context for people, I want people to understand where you came from. And then, you know, because I know you started off on on your brother's couch and you ended up sitting opposite Steve Harvey. That doesn't happen to everyone. So (laughs) tell us a little bit about where it all started. Yeah, I always like to tell people, Vipple, that, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about what I do and all that stuff, but really the heart that I have for being America's money maven comes from the compassion that I developed in my own testimony, in my own storm. So, you know, 10 years ago in 2008, I was actually um, on the bathroom floor, bawling and snotting and crying and asking God, why? Like, what happened? How did I get here? Because the years leading up to that, when I was in college, I was introduced to real estate and quickly fell in love with the real estate market here in California. At 19, I became a licensed agent. And by 21, I was a real estate and mortgage broker. And so during my senior year in college, my now husband of 11 years, then boyfriend, we thought we're just going to start our own business. And we did that my second semester senior year. And we started this mortgage and real estate company, which ended up being a seven-figure business by the time we were 25. And at that time, you couldn't tell us that we were not going to ride off into the sunset with all the money bags in the world. Like, we were doing so well. We had 16 employees. We had this beautiful office space and matching Range Rovers and, you know, uh, the designated parking spots. Like, we had hit it. And then... In 2007, I found myself in the hospital on bed rest, waiting to have my daughter. I had taken a fall down the stairs and it sent me into preterm labor. And so if anyone is listening who happens to be a mom or has ever seen a pregnant woman at least one time in your life, you don't have to be a mom to know that if you go into labor at 20 weeks and pregnancy is supposed to be 40 weeks, then that's a big problem. And so when I got to the hospital, they said, you know what, ma'am, this baby is coming any, any minute now. I'm sorry. Because essentially their thought was the baby's not going to make it. And so I was in the hospital. My daughter actually held on. They gave me a few steroid shots and all these things. She held on a few days. And then before I knew it, I was in there for five weeks. And that was when I was laying on bed rest, could not get out of bed. It was tilted um, back trying to keep her in as long as possible. And I'm watching the news, Vipo, and every day they're talking about the banks here shutting down left and right, left and right. And then I had my team members who were calling me in the hospital, freaking out. 
what am I going to do about this deal? This deal is not closing. My clients lost their deposit on this house or the escrow fell apart and everyone was used to me being the fixer. And here I am on bed rest. I can't fix myself. So I definitely couldn't help fix them. And finally, one day I was so, I guess, stressed out about it. My doctor came in. They had been monitoring, you know, my vitals and all that stuff. And she said, hey, I don't know what you're stressing about, but if you don't stop, you're going to leave here two years in a row with no baby. Because the year before I had a baby in the same hospital, but he died after five hours in my arms. I was on the same floor, same hospital. And I made, to, I made a decision in that moment that I would have to surrender, that I would just have to like let it go and stop trying to you know, control all these forces outside of this space and time that I was in. The only thing that I was responsible for was trying to get that baby here healthy and strong and keep her in as long as possible. And that was around 25 weeks or so pregnant. Um, and I actually had the maintenance people come in and take the TV off the wall. I didn't even want to be tempted to watch the news and to freak out. And they took the TV off the wall and I spent the next several weeks journaling and singing praise and worship music and having friends and family visit and tell me funny stories and just not talk to me about what was going on outside of those walls. Um, and my daughter was born at 30 weeks. She was healthy. Um, she didn't have to stay in the NICU too long, only like three weeks. And you know, I left there with a healthy baby, but I also left with almost $400,000 in medical debt because of my 10, 11 weeks plus her three weeks. Um, and the market that I had gone into the hospital, the real estate market that I knew when I went in was not the same. And so I came out and basically exhausted my savings, still trying to keep everything afloat, um, thinking that I could figure it out, that I would make it happen. You know, I don't know if you, if you know people who are the smartest in your circle, so you literally think that you can make it happen, not paying attention that there's a like crisis going on out here, but I can direct my path. And so I thought I could figure it out and make it happen. And unfortunately, about a year later, everyone was laid off, the doors closed, and I went from this seven-figure business to scraping up change. I had exhausted everything. I had put my money in the last of different investments that I thought would you know, generate um, some type of return. They did not. And that was it. And so when people ask me now, how are you America's money maven? And how did you do this? I always say, you know, it's because of my testimony. Had I not gone through that season that took me from having this amazing career to losing it all and ending up on that bathroom floor saying, God, how did I get here? Like, what just happened? How did this happen to me? I've been a good person. I've treated people well. I operated in integrity. I wasn't doing bad loans. I wasn't doing bad business. So how the heck does this happen? And for me in that moment, it was that still small voice that, you know, for me, tell me to reach for my Bible. I did. And I ended up on this scripture. It's um, Proverbs 17, 16. And I built my whole life off of it for the last 10 years. And it's what good is money in the hands of a fool if they have no desire to seek wisdom. And that was the light bulb moment for me that I had been really great at figuring out how to make money, but I was, so I was great at acquiring knowledge, but I was not necessarily great at seeking wisdom, which is the application of the knowledge that you do have. So what was it? What was the knowledge at the time you weren't applying? Well, first of all, in my office building, there were so many people who were older than us. We were, you know, the youngest, we were in our twenties um, with all these folks around us and I remember there was a guy down the hall that closed up shop 
and he was doing really well. You know, we would talk in the hallways or in the parking garage, elevator, whatever, doing really well. And he just like, he closed up and he would say, he told my husband, not when I was there, but my husband says he told him in the hallway one day, like, yeah, it's time to like, you know, um, cut these expenses and, and hunker down because it's coming. We didn't even say, well, what does that mean? What is coming? What is he talking about? But this is someone who, you know, we were living the high life, essentially. Like, we just didn't understand the concept of recessions, even, at that age. The concept that good things do come to an end. So you shouldn't bank on this going on forever and ever. And I really think about, you know, had, it, had we asked him, what do you mean by that? Why are you closing up shopping? You do really well. Like, you're turning out 25, 30 loans a month and you already have a small staff. So, you know, what do you mean by that? Could we have gotten some guidance? You know, there were different real estate professionals um, or just business professionals as a whole that we never thought to ask for mentorship or for coaching or just ask for help. And we were, I don't think intentionally prideful, but again, if you come from a space where you are the person that people ask for help, it doesn't occur to you that you need to go and ask other people for help. And I think that was the big thing. And that's the thing that I've become most okay with is that when you don't know and you know, this, there's two things. There's sometimes when you know you don't know something and you'd rather sit and Google your life away instead of just asking for help, right? Although we didn't have Google back then. And then there's, or not to this extent, I don't know. And then there's the other thing where you just don't know what you don't know right? You just have no awareness of the things that you don't know. But when you are in that place, it's still wise to put yourself around people who will heighten your awareness of all these other things. And I've learned that one, mentorship is key, coaching is key, and just putting myself in circles with people who are smarter than me, because their natural conversation is going to alert me to something that I just have no awareness of. Yeah, no, that's so true because I think the people that it's, it's cliche in the personal development space, like the people that you surround yourself with are the people that you become. But it's true because the energy and the, the frequency that they're giving off, you naturally tend to vibe with them. And if they're not, if you're around enough of those people, they will naturally raise you to their level and you'll end up talking about the same things, researching the same things, being curious about the same things. And so it's not a surprise that most successful people have successful friends. That's what right. just ends up happening. Um, so what year was this when you lost everything, you had to like close down shop and, and like just restart? 2008. And what, what was the first thing that was going through your head at that point? Like what's the first step that you then took? So actually the day that I found that scripture, I was on the bathroom floor and I felt this light bulb moment, I guess you would say. Like, I felt like, oh my gosh, I need to tell somebody this, right? Like, I need to share this because I instantly started to look, like, look up, like, well, what's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? And I was having all these, like, well, what is this and what is that? And I was filling a notepad with just notes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, do people know this? I didn't know this. I, you know, I'm like, I used to use these words interchangeably and all this. And what came to me was you should start a blog. Although I didn't really know fully what blogging was. I knew that I knew some moms who had started a blog and they were all about like talking about their kids. And, uh, and I was like, well, I'm not mobby, mommy blogger material. I didn't feel, <laughs> I, I didn't really feel a connection to that, but I was like, wow, maybe I can give people little tips on money or business or some of those things. 
And I'll be honest, the immediate thing that came to mind was, well, who's going to listen to you? Because of where I was. It was like, okay, well, you, you're in this teeny, I went from, you know, foreclosing on a 6,000 square foot home in Southern California to literally being in this apartment that I'm referencing was a 600 square foot, seemed like box, you know, in Louisiana of all places. And it was like, who's going to listen to you? And then the next thought was, well, so what? Maybe your mom will read. And like, there was literally these conflicting thoughts. Well, needless to say, my mom was not a long-term reader. She uh, was not dependable <laughs> in terms of being a reader, but I kept going. I, I literally, the next day, and I leave it up to this day because I always want to illustrate the point that you have to start somewhere. And I think sometimes when folks see someone, even like myself on television, they're like, I want that. But you don't get that without all these other steps in between. And I didn't go from being on the floor to being here there were a series of steps that I took, not even intentionally trying to get to, you know, the things that I've done now. It was just about wanting to help other people. Like as I was in this space, I was like, wow, if I could just kind of build a community where there's other people. And when I say community, I was like, if I find five, seven people who also have gone through something like this and they want to rebuild, we could do this together. And so I started a free blogspot.com that next morning. And I would do a post every week. And after a couple months, when I realized my mom wasn't reading, my sister wasn't reading, I wasn't even sure if my husband was really reading. I was like, okay, no one's paying attention. I, you know, what am I doing? What am I thinking? And I didn't post for about three weeks or so. And a man sent me an email. Now, this is how lame I was. I did not even understand Google Analytics or how to read the back end or how to check the views or page. I didn't understand any of that. I was just, I just knew how to post. And a man sends me a message out of the blue and says, hey, I hope you're okay. I regularly enjoy your blog and you haven't posted. And my first thought was like, who is this man? Where did he come from? How does he know me? <laughs> I had no idea. And that, and that man saved my career. Because of him, there is America's Money Maven. And I tell that story often, and I hope that one day he'll reach out to me and say, hey, I was the person, because, you know, it's many email addresses ago. But I'm like, had he not said, basically, your work is helping me, I may have given up right there. And because of my mom or my husband not reading as much as I would like them to, right? And, and then I was like, trying to figure out, well, I didn't even know he was watching. And so going in the background and looking at the Google Analytics and all that stuff, I realized that there was a market for it. People were actually listening. I, they weren't commenting, so I didn't know, but they were actually reading. And that was it. That was the catalyst. So I kept doing that blog and went through many different ugly iterations because I know nothing about design, but I didn't let that stop me. I was like, just focus on I didn't know to call it content back then, but just focus on giving people good stuff and trying to share wisdom and share the wisdom you have. And that led to me writing for other websites like Black Enterprise or Huffington Post. Um, and then that led to me writing for magazines. And before you know it, it became radio. And then I started writing my own books and then television. And here we are. So it just, it's, it's all a, a process. Like, and I think we all forget to enjoy the journey. Like we always, as you said earlier on, we, all, we just want to reach the top. And a lot of that has come about because of the story and, and uh, challenges you have to go through first and then the lessons that you glean from them. Because if, you, if you're not, as you said, if you, 
it's all well and good to talk about the, the suffering that you went through or the pain. But if you haven't learned anything from it and you can't help someone else to avoid the same situation, then it doesn't really become wisdom for anyone else. So right. what would you say are the lessons that you've learned from your journey so far that you feel are like, these are the lessons that I want to pass on, if any, from what I've been through so far? Well, I, I would say my first lesson would be about giving myself permission. Um, I had to give myself permission to move past what a lot of people would see as a catastrophic failure, right? Like, although there were a lot of people who lost businesses or homes or went through extreme challenges during that time, when I run into people that I knew back then, now that I've moved back to Los Angeles, um, not everyone has rebounded. Not everyone has recovered. Not everyone has been able to rebuild their life. And I think the number one reason for that is that they haven't given themselves permission to move on. You know, you have conversations with people and I use telling my story as a way to hopefully inspire and provide hope to others, but I don't use it in a way to limit myself or create a woe is me, I messed up, look at what I did. And if you're not careful, and you don't see whatever you know, you've been through as something that happened for you and not just to you, then you can get stuck in that. And that has been one of my biggest takeaways is like giving myself permission to understand that all these things that I've been through, they didn't happen to me, they happened for me. Because without them, I, I would not be the person that I am today. I had to go through that. I was passionate about financial education before. I used financial education as a way to build my business but I had to go through those things to have the compassion that I have for people today. And so that would be one big lesson. And I think another lesson that I talk about often on my podcast um, is that relationships matter and that you have to understand that there's always, there's always someone watching you who has the power to bless you, but who are they watching you be or how would they watching you behave? Or how are they watching you interact with other people? How are they watching you show up in social media? How are, there's always someone watching. And I think that even, even in the age of social media, where we are building profiles and putting ourselves out there, it's like we forget that, okay, someone's going to see that, right? Or like someone's going to see you. And if you are not what you portrayed there, that disconnect could prevent you from getting an opportunity or getting that introduction or being invited to something because so much of my career, honestly, Vipple, has not been, um, I would love to believe that I was so smart and so strategic and so orchestrated, but the truth is everything that's happened has been quite organic and it's happened very authentically. Um, and it's really been because of relationships, just because of treating people well and doing what I say I'm going to do and showing up and delivering how I'm supposed to and honoring everyone in the space, whether they are the janitor or the CEO, because you just don't know. And I don't do it for that, but I do believe that it's been such a great, um, such a great resource or help for me on this journey is that so many people in my space are clamoring for opportunities that quite frankly I attract and I think it's because I know who I am so I don't have to mistreat people to prove that I am any better or that I have this or that I do that it's like just be cool with who you are and treat people well 
Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because it's like in this age of social media, we think that we need to be like someone else because we're comparing ourselves so much and we forget to be us. And I just posted, uh, I think it was yesterday, if you blend in, you'll be forgotten. It's just Ooh, like that's good. The, 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 the makeup of our eye, the print that we have on our um, palm and under our feet, no one in history's had it and no one will have it again. That makeup is just for you. And there's whether you feel like it's woo-woo or not, like <laughs> there has to be a reason behind that. Like it's not just going to no, be. True. Yeah. And that's, I really believe, you know what I had to start telling myself too at different points throughout this journey when I would get into that type of comparison mode, because it's easy to slip into, you know, at first we're looking at people as research, right? It's kind of like, Oh, I'm looking for inspiration. And then if you're not really careful, that can turn into imitation, which is not like what you want to do. It's not even necessary. And I started to tell myself at different points, and I think I heard a version of this somewhere years ago, but essentially it was that, you know, the year that I was born, there clearly was a void in the space. And he, I, like I was born to come and fill that void, right? Like I was not born to, to fill the void, to look like somebody else's version. They were born to fill a void and I was born to fill a void. And I love looking at, you know, you go to the grocery store on any aisle, there are different brands, there are different variations of the same freaking product. And we get so caught up in like, oh, but so-and-so does it this way, or so-and-so's already out there, or this already exists. But until you do it in your way, what does that matter? Because there are certain things that I walk right by. They don't appeal to me. I'm not attracted to them. They can be amazing to other people, and it just doesn't resonate with me, Right. And then there's certain things where I beeline for it. I'm glued to it. Even if it's not the best, it just, for whatever reason, it speaks to me and that's what I want. And that's how I see myself in the marketplace that I don't have to look like everyone else um, because I tried that and it sucked. I tried when I first was building this brand. I was like, oh my gosh, if you want to be a finance person, you need to show up in your navy blue suit or your black suit and your stockings, your tights or whatever, and your nice pumps. And you know, you have to look a certain way and wear pearls and all this stuff. And I was, I was still myself, I was good, but I wasn't as good as I could be if I was free to just be all of me. And when I ditched that, I remember going on Facebook Vipple in like 2011, I think, and gave away all of my suits. I was like, if you can make it to this area of Georgia and meet me in the, the McDonald's slash Starbucks parking lot, <laughs> I will give you these 12 suits. And they were like brown and navy blue and black and all of that. And that was me taking a stand and saying, I do not have to look like everyone else to be accepted in this space. There is a market for me to be myself, to, to wear my long hair, not in a bun, to wear big earrings or a, a bright colored dress with no stockings, heaven forbid. Like, and then there's a market. There are women who would be attracted to my message. And when I gave that up, trying to be like everyone else and blending in with everyone else, like the world opened up to me. I think life becomes so much easier when you're living in your truth. And that's, that's exactly what, what it sounds like you ended up doing. You had the courage to do that. And I guess the selling of your suits were just like, I'm going to get rid of the old me. Like I'm shedding that skin. That's not me. That's the old Patrice. She's dead. And now the real me is here. I didn't even want to leave space to go back to it because that's what, you know, fear will do. Right. 
Like if one person said something to me in my bright color, I might've retreated back and, and said, oh my gosh, what, what am I thinking? Let me go back and get in my suit box, right? <laughs> Let me go and pull out that stuff. And I gave those suits away because I literally did not want the option of turning back. And I was like, you know what? I, no matter what the feedback is, I'm prepared to move forward because if that feedback is that you don't receive this message from me, that's fine. I'm just not the messenger for you. So go find the messenger. I don't care who gives you the message as long as you experience some type of win or change in your life. So if I'm not the right messenger, cool. But this is the package that this message comes in and either you take it or leave it. Yeah, definitely. No, I love it. I love it. So this give, gives me a good segue to go into your, um, I, I guess, motto of chase purpose, not money. And mm -hmm. most like, let's, let's speak to those who are trying to build up their finance or trying to build some sort of wealth or empire for themselves. And then they're, they're not just quite there yet. They're still trying to find answers and figure out how they need to do it. What do you say to them? Like, how do you break it down for them? Because they're like, look, Patrice, I don't have money. I forget purpose. Like I need money. <laughs> you know, I hear that a lot. And it's, it's, I'll give you a great example. When I had just come off my brother's couch um, and we got our first apartment in Atlanta, I started to, while I was on my brother's couch, I started volunteering for some financial education nonprofits. I was like, you know, I don't know if people get paid to do what I'm thinking in my head, but at the minimum, let me put myself in those circles, in those spaces. So I reached out to organizations. Three of them got back to me. I started volunteering at two. And then with one of them, I wasn't unemployed. So I was like a hardcore volunteer. Like any email that came out, I was like, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And so I became like their lead volunteer, right? And so after a few months, they reached out. Well, this is what happened, actually. So people also asked me about the Steve Harvey thing. Well, I was Steve Harvey's intern also at 19 years old. So while I was pursuing real estate, I also worked uh, at the radio station that his uh, now is nationally syndicated, but it was just in Los Angeles at the time. And so that was supposed to be like a six week internship. And at the end of the six weeks, I was like giving out my thank you cards. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's such a blessing. And they're like, where the hell are you going? What are you doing? I'm like, well, I was, I was an intern. <laughs> like, I don't work here. And they're like, no, you have to stay. So I ended up staying for two years. So when I left there is when I started my real estate and mortgage company. But circling back, when I ended up in Atlanta, you know, I still kept in touch with a lot of those people. So Steve Harvey found out that I was back um, or that I was there because he had by then moved to Atlanta as well, that I was there. And so his business manager at the time called me in because they wanted to offer me a job. They just heard that I was looking for something and I needed something. And they had seen the trajectory and heard about how things panned out and all that stuff. Well, I was actually driving down the road to go accept this job. I didn't even know what the job really entailed, but it sounded like money, you know? And I was like, okay, I'm going down the street, literally down a street called Roswell Road in Atlanta. The phone rings. And it's the vice president of the nonprofit calling me to ask if I have a job because I'm the star volunteer and they have this position coming available and everyone put my name in the hat immediately. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like a dream thing because Steve's stuff was going to be an entertainment and I had never been interested in that. Like that just wasn't my thing. But I'm like, oh my gosh, financial education counselor. Yes. Like that's me. I can do that. I'm like, well, when would I start? Well, they're breaking ground on the center in six months. Now, mind you, I'm broke. 
right? Like I am in struggle mode. My husband went from tailored suits to taking a job at Taco Bell to make sure we had health insurance. So we literally are not really making any money. So the guy says, well, you know, this position will take another six months or so. And I'm like, dude, I need money right now. Like I am headed in to take a job right now. I'm driving there. 10 minutes later, I pull into the parking lot. I get into the office. I'm talking to Steve Harvey and his manager at the time, Rashawn McDonald. And they're telling me about the position. And the more I'm listening to it, the less excited I am because it was nothing obviously like what I heard when I was driving and talked to the other guy. And although I knew my family needed the money, I, I swear to you to this day, I don't even know how it came out, but I said, yeah, I can't do that. And Steve Harvey said, ain't you broke? <laughs> Didn't you say you need a job? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I do. But I don't think I would be great at that. Like I could do it, but I wouldn't love it. And they thought I was crazy. They thought I had lost my mind. And they're like, well, what is it you want to do? I said, I really want to help people in financial education somehow. I've been volunteering and I've been doing these types of things. And they said, well, we can give you like a finance title. And I said, oh, okay. So, but like, what could I do? They're like, no, you're going to do the same work. We'll just give you the title. And then that way it'll help you <laughs> later. And you know, everything in me wanted to say, yes, I'm serious. But there was that one part that was like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to say yes and get stuck here and then become complacent because I'm getting a little check or like the thought of that made me nauseous. I was like, I just can't do that. And I said, you know what? I can't do it. But you know who'd be great is my husband because before my husband and I started our business, he worked in entertainment in LA. I said, he would be great. Do you want to talk to him? And they talked it over for a second. They said, okay, he could come in on Monday. I'm like, it was a Wednesday afternoon. I'll never forget. I said, oh my gosh, you want to interview him on Monday? They said, no, he can just start. And that was off the strength of the relationship that I started at 19 years old, right? And so my husband took the job and then that was in 2010. And for the next seven years, he would go on to become the president of Steve Harvey World Group. He just transitioned and started his own business again this year. But for seven years from that one conversation where I did not take the job, but I was able to, to pass it on. And so we still got the income, but I didn't have to do that work because that wasn't my work. And then six months later, I did end up at that financial education nonprofit. And that's where I really built a name for myself teaching all over Atlanta. I was responsible for going to the churches, the conferences, the nonprofits, all these other places and teaching on their behalf. And that's where I developed my voice as a speaker. And so I say that to say that was not an easy decision. It was actually pretty crazy. But when I look at how things have panned out, had I gone just for the money, I don't know that I would be here today, right? Or I don't know that I would have gotten here the way that I did with the path that I did. And so, you know, it's, to me, it's, it's about doing the work you love because here's the thing with finance is the financial expert part of me and the financial psychology piece of me knows that when we are unfulfilled in the work that we do day in and day out, it still keeps us from um, really establishing our priorities with our finances. And so even if we start to make more money, we end up in this cycle of still never being fulfilled. And then it's still always the chase for more and more and more and more money. But then you're still never really, truly happy. And so 
when I say chase purpose, not money, it's not because I don't think you have bills. I know you have bills. I know you have responsibilities. I know you have things that need to get done. But my request of you is that every decision not be made just based on the money. Like that some decisions you actually take a step back and go, does this really, you know, help me get to who I believe I'm supposed to be in this world? Because you get one life. And the thought of just holding on to something only for the money, um, but you're truly unsatisfied or dissatisfied or whatever, like you're truly just not living up to your fullest potential. That's sad. And that that's no way to live. And even if you can't do what you want to do as a full-time thing, I think that filling that void by at least volunteering or doing it on the side or turning it into some side hustle, some hobby, some something, you just have to inundate yourself with the things that feel good and in alignment with your spirit. Yeah. It, it's crazy, you know, the, the way you told that story, because you would have never known that all of those pieces of the puzzle would have come together, like until you look back now and you reflect and it makes all sense. You're like, oh, of course I would have made that decision. Like it all makes sense. Like the dominoes got hit in the right way. But I guess from everything you're saying to lay a solid foundation of building wealth that you'll actually be happy with. And I guess then creating fulfillment and not just mm -hmm. achievement of, of hitting a certain number, like you're actually fulfilled along the way is making sure the empire is built on purpose, something that you're happy with. So what would you say to those who are, I guess, lost or they don't quite know what they want to do? What breaking it down in maybe a couple of steps of these are the sorts of things that they should try and do or follow to then start getting mm -hmm. an idea of, okay, this is what sets me on fire. Maybe I should do start doing this on the side. Yeah. One of the first things I'll say is that so often we underestimate those things that first of all are gifts. So the things that we do better than anyone else with the least amount of effort, like for so long, um, I did not think that I had a gift or a talent, if you will, because, you know, I played basketball, but wasn't the best, right? <laughs> like I wasn't going to college on it or I did, you know, I played piano, but not really gonna, no one wants to listen to that. Like I didn't have something that was a art or a sport or something like that. And one of the first exercises that I did, and I got it from a book called Coach Yourself to Success by Tulane Mediner. I read that book in 20, about 2009. Changed my life because it's very practical and it has a bunch of exercises. And one of the exercises that she suggested, which blew me away, was to look back over my life and not just my professional life, not just my adult life, but literally look back over my life and look at all the instances where I felt complete joy, where I was just so smitten with myself and I was super excited and pumped up. And I started to look back and I thought about different things um, like being class president in middle school and really just because I got to get on stage. It was the get on stage and tell my peers, my friends what to do, right? Like, you owe us dues, pay up type of thing. Like, I just love all these different aspects. I used to get in trouble in school for talking. So you see, I have no shortage of words, right? Like, I love talking, always got in trouble for it, always the loud girl in the back talking. Um, I loved getting on stage. I was a great writer. I thought about the fact that I actually was published in sixth grade 
because my essays were selected from some competition to be in a, a Los Angeles Unified School District, like compilation book. I was already a published author, if you will, right? Like a published contributor and how pumped that made me. And, and I was in the newspaper for something like uh, in ninth grade and how pumped I was about, you know, my work being recognized. And, and so when I started to look at all these different things from childhood and the things that got me pumped and excited, it's like, wait a minute, there, there might be something here. Maybe I should be pursuing something where I just freaking get to talk. Hence a podcast and speaking now, right? Like I should do something where I get to actually be on stage. I like that. Like I, I, I enjoy that. I still, I still, there's still a little fear sometimes that comes with me speaking, but then after the first 30 seconds that turns off and then I am in my mode, right? Like I am doing my thing. And so that book helped me to see that I was neglecting or negating so many of the things that I had always been good at. And because they didn't fit into some professional bubble or some job description, I just, I would write them off. Like they were, they were not important. Um, and, and now as a mother, that's the thing that I really try to encourage in my daughter, like the things that she naturally gets in trouble for at school while I try to manage the teacher's expectations and, and teach her to, you know, do what she has to do. I'm not, I'm not trying to force her to conform because those things are her gifts and she's naturally displaying them. Right. And they're going to serve her. 10, 15, 20 years from now. So that's not a light that I want to dim, although it was a light that was, you know, definitely snuffed out for me <laughs> as a kid. Um, so, so that's really one thing is like being okay with, these are the things that you've always been good at. And then for me, it was how do I marry those things with, with just some knowledge or experience that I've always had or been passionate about? And so in building my real estate and mortgage business, the thing that I liked the most was one kind of, I, I, did, I liked clients that could come in and jump into a house because of course I got the money faster, right? But there was something for me about taking someone who was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. And then working with them and working with them and giving them homework and them coming back and them saying, I saved my first thousand dollars or I saved my first 5,000 and you know, I, I liked that. And so it was like, how do I, um, you know, partner what I've always been good with, with the things that get me excited and I'm passionate about and I have some level of expertise in and marry those together. And when I was able to do that, the, the last piece was being able to tell the story and not be ashamed of the story and how I got there. And that's, I think the big thing is mo a lot for a lot of us, our purpose comes out of some form of pain. And we want to we wanna jump into the purpose piece, but we don't want anyone to know the pain or the struggles that it took to get there. And once I was okay with, again, giving, giving myself permission to accept that my story is my story, you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily choose for things to go that way. I would have loved to say that I rode out into the sunset with no problems and now I can help you do the same. But the truth is that was not my story. But despite what anyone may think of the story, it is what it is. And without it, I wouldn't be here. And so once I became comfortable with sharing my truth, in addition to those other pieces and accepting those pieces for what they were, I feel like so many things started to click and come together. 
You know, I was I was uh, smiling a lot when you were talking because that's exactly pretty much the 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 like path on the thinking that I use to figure out what excites me, like what what gets me pumped up is looking at the teachers' reports and what they said to my parents and what I got in trouble for, which is exactly the same as you talking. And I guess from as you were talking, I was thinking, well, purpose is hidden in problems. That's what it is, our personal problems. And if we take the time to break them down, then we'll realize actually there's a lesson to be learned here. And if I take that away and put all of the pieces of the puzzle together, then I'll, I'll have a clearer picture of what it is that gets me pumped up. And yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. So I hope people are taking notes and, and listen back to this. And before we get into the final few questions, I just wanted to ask you, what, what does wealth mean to you? So I subscribe to the original definition of wealth. And so my podcast is Redefining Wealth not because I have some new spin on it. It's really because I want people to go back to the original definition. And that is, you know, when we look at wealth now, even when you Google it, the probably the first definition you'll get, it will say something about, you know, money and material possessions. And what I really try to convey and what I live by is that wealth is not just money and material possessions. I like money. I enjoy making money. I enjoy the possessions that I have. Wonderful. But what I've learned is that wealth is truly about well-being. And the original 12th century definition is the condition of well-being. And I found for myself, um, because I discovered that years ago. And so as I've rebuilt my life and my business and all that stuff, and people say, well, how did you do it? Right? I always say it wasn't by focusing just on budgets or credit reports or, you know, and debt elimination, while all those things are important and they have a place, that's not the end all be all. If you truly are going to have what I want to call fulfillment, right? Like the, the true feeling of, man, I feel rich in relationships. I feel good with myself. Like, like I'm doing work that I love. I'm inspired every day. I'm pumped to get up. Like to me, that is wealth because if you just have the money but you have no relationships your health is poor you know your kids hate you your wife is trying to poison you every other day like you know <laughs> you hate your environment how can you think that that's wealth you have money you don't have wealth and the, the and wealth is the condition of well-being and so what i teach are these different pillars that just are different things for us to look at because i believe that while you can, you know, achieve large sums of money, whether you have the ability to actually maintain it will really be rooted in how you feel about yourself and, and how you deal with these other areas of life. Because the minute those are on a scale of one to 10, the minute those are like a one, two, three, you're going to find problems. Like if your relationships are not in order, Vipple, a lot of people use money to buy affection they use money to buy love they are you know they're always giving gifts you know i tell people all the time when i would work one-on-one -on -one with people with coaching i'm like you don't have a money problem you have a people problem because what i'm seeing here is that you loaned money to this person you loan money to that person you gave you know you went to eat why is the bill seven hundred dollars clearly you weren't by yourself so why did you feel the need to treat everyone it's no one's birthday it's no special occasion but you're here trying to you know fill the void and impress everyone. What is that about? And so that's what I really share from is like, how do you really impact those other areas of life that you don't realize are truly impacting your finances in the long run?
Yeah, so it's looking at more than just uh, the, the money in the bank, you know, you've got to look at the decisions as a whole in your life. So yeah. no, I, that makes a lot of sense. So I mean, just getting into the final few questions then, with everything you've gone through now and, and the whole journey you've been on, is there anything different you'd tell the 18-year-old Patrice? Oh, the 18-year-old Patrice. Is there anything different? Let's see. I think one thing that I would tell myself if I could go back 20 years would be to trust yourself more. Trust yourself more. Um, there have been a lot of things in my life, in my business, where I didn't accept like my own validation, right? Like I didn't validate my own ideas. So I was looking for acceptance or approval or validation or affirmation from other people. Hence, um, you know, when I said I stopped my blog because my mom and my, my husband weren't reading. So I was like, eh, even though in my heart, I was like, man, this is really cool. Like I could be onto something. I wonder what I could do with this because they didn't read immediately. You know, I was willing to give it up that quickly. And so, you know, when I look, think about my life and how many different instances up until just like the last few years, where I was on the cusp of something and because I didn't trust myself, I let it go. And then I saw someone else do it and I'm like, no. And I know people can relate to that. You're like, no, that's my idea. That's my invention. That's what I was gonna do. That's... But you didn't trust yourself. And someone else just took it and ran with it. And so that would be my big thing is like, no matter what it is, personally or professionally, trust yourself. Yeah, but that's a big piece of advice. And so many people fall down with it because they feel like they need to get validation from someone else when, when really and truly everyone's looking for that validation for themselves from someone else. So you're just going right. around in a circle. It doesn't <laughs> make sense. Um, but yeah, so if there's anything that you could write, like one statement that you could write down that would go in a time capsule that generations from now would read, what would that one statement be? Chase purpose, not money. I love it. That's it sums, sums up this whole conversation. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> with everything that you've learned, you come up to the end of your life, whatever age that might be, what's the legacy you hope to leave behind by then? The legacy that I hope is funny. I've been thinking about that since I was in like third grade. I um, saw a funeral procession go by. I was with my mom. And I remember seeing a funeral procession go by. And, and when that would happen back in the day, you know, it's a lot of cars and stuff and the motorcycle cops. And so my mom would just turn the car off, I guess to save on gas or whatever. She turned it off. And I remember her turning the car off. And by the time I kind of looked down, looked up, she turned it back on. Cause only like 10 cars maybe were in this like little funeral thing. And I was like, it bothered me. I was, I was like nine or 10 years old. It bothered the heck out of me. Like I was like, where are all the people? Like, where, where are all the people? And so later on that night, it still bothered me. I asked my mom, why were there not more people in that funeral line that went by? And she was like, maybe nobody, you know, maybe that's all the friends and family they had. And that tore, I was torn by that. And my mom still tell this story. And I told her, I said, oh no, I want a lot of people at my funeral. I want people to have to turn their car off for a long, turn it off for an hour. I don't care. Like I want to live a life that is a blessing to so many people that when I die, they are willing to take a day off work to come see about me. 
Like they are willing to show up and attend and, and do whatever it takes just to come pay respect to what I've deposited in their life. And so when I come to that last day, like all I want to do is be able to look back and know that I impacted more people than just my family, like more people than just my immediate circle. I want people who I'm, I may never meet in person. I may never see them eyeball to eyeball. I may never hug them, but I want them to literally, and I say this with all, <laughs> with all sincerity, I want tears. I want them to be like, oh my gosh, she did X, Y, Z for me, whether I ever met them or not. And so that's what I live my life with the mission to do is like, how do I continue to grow? I don't, there's no destination for me. I don't have a final destination. Like I am on a journey to continuously figure out how I can improve my own knowledge, especially as it comes to financial psychology or those types of things so that I can create work that literally changes people's lives for the better. And so that when I'm gone, they go, wow, if it weren't for her, I wouldn't be me. And, and that's it. That's what I want to know I did. Yeah, it's all about leaving this world a better place than you found it. And I think you've definitely already done that, you know, up, up to this point in your life. And, and I wish you nothing but success to continue to, to do that. So where, where else can people find your stuff if they want to follow you and see what your journey is about, your books, resources, whatever it might be? Yeah. Well, you can definitely check me out um, at patricewashington.com. There you'll find out about all things Patrice. Um, check out the Redefining Wealth podcast. That is my baby. comes out weekly every Thursday um, in the U.S. I don't know how that translates everywhere else, but it comes out every Thursday. Um, and also on Instagram, I'm pretty active. Seek Wisdom PCW. Seek Wisdom PCW. And tell me that you, you heard me on Know Your Legacy podcast so I can uh, give Vipple the high five and the, the thumbs up in social media. But um, Vipple, I have to say, I love what you're doing as well. I think it's awesome. And I just appreciate you giving me an opportunity to share my story on your platform. So thank you so much. No, thank you. Um, I, you know, I'm humbled that, that we, we got to talk um, and that you took the time and effort to share. So, um, I, you know, hopefully we get to do this again sometime soon. Yeah. Absolutely love Patrice's energy. She just brought that fire. And I, I hope you guys took away a lot from that because I know I did. Um, if you want to speak about anything at Know Your Legacy on Instagram, as always, start up a conversation with me. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feelings about the episode. Leave me a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify if you think it's worthy of a review because that's the only way we're going to get the message out and spread the wisdom of any, every legend that we have on the podcast. You can also watch the face-to-face -face version on YouTube, the Know Your Legacy channel. And if you want to find out more about Patrice, follow her on Instagram, seekwisdompcw www.patricewashington.com and she also has a podcast on iTunes called Redefining Wealth. Until next time guys, remember you're only one decision away from becoming a legend.